Recently, I did um, some work in Liverpool, and Gemma offered to take me to Liverpool because the day before she had had a flying lesson, yes, which had flown us to Liverpool wow. and back. Well, to Southport. Where from Barton? You fly from Barton? From Barton. Cool. Uh, which is a local aerodrome to all those people who are unfamiliar of the M60 <laughs> within the M60 Any, Basically, circular. anybody who doesn't live five minutes away <laughs> from Barton from Aerodrome Barton. does not know of Barton So she aerodrome. flew a plane mm. and we went over to, to Southport and back around Winter Hill. Again, those people who aren't particularly familiar with the Bolton conurbation will not necessarily know Winter Hill. She flew all this other... So the next day, I said, I've got to go to Liverpool today. She said, I'll fly you. I said, do you understand... Who is she? Michael Owen? <laughs> do you understand that one hour in a plane... Yes. ...is not the same as, thanks, instructor, I'll now fly my husband to Liverpool. It doesn't really work Was it a like Cessna that. or a Sopwith Camel? It was a... I've forgotten. So, so you know, actually, Balsa so, Wood planes. So I knew I knew that Gemma was having a flying lesson. It was a Piper you, two. You ah. actually got in the plane. Not a Piper Pringles. I was because I would generally passenger. avoid allowing Katie to drive me unless I'm incredibly Ooh. tired or have had a couple of Once drinks. Once you're up there, it is easier than driving. But clearly, there are a few things to negotiate to get up there and clearly to then land. But there are a couple of occasions where the instructor, a lovely man called John, hello, John, he was incredibly um, gregarious and a lovely uh, instructor and very, very clear with Gemma. And he basically said, after about um, 10 minutes of flight, right, you're in control. She's like, what? <laughs> and then on the way back, he, he said, didn't get out, did he? He <laughs> strapped himself <laughs> into a parachute. <laughs> <laughs> Once she had understood about the, the left, the right, and the, the tip-in and everything, and got herself, got herself into a position where she felt comfortable about flying the plane, went out to Southport Pier, came back round, and he said, the funny thing about these You didn't planes, buzz the tower, did you? <laughs> Top Gun style. <laughs> we do, there's Blackpool Tower. How close we get? Oh, no, don't get in Blackpool airspace. And we, we, we turn around, and uh, just as we started to come out, it, one of the things you'll notice about planes like this, they essentially, and you would have known this already, they essentially fly themselves. So, for example, if I was to cut the engine, and he cut the engine... Mm -hmm. We're just looking around going, what, what the hell are you doing? He said, no, we just turned into a glider now. It's fine. He turned the engine off. <laughs> turned the engine off. Without telling you who's yeah. going to do it. So if you wanted to, for example, land in that field over there, it'd be absolutely fine. We'd just glide down. She's like, what are you saying? Are what you sure he's a flying instructor? <laughs> he's a flying instructor. I said his name is John. I'm not going to say his surname, just in case you're not supposed to do that. And why is she, I know it seems that, why is she learning to fly? It was, she's not, it was a, oh. it was, for some reason, since turning 30 and getting married in a three-week or four-week period, yeah. she's decided to start ticking off her bucket list items now. She feels right. clearly that her <laughs> life is over. Like, marrying you. <laughs> You, know, marry you do start to take, to take stock of all the things you didn't get around to achieving. Minus, marry Hugh. All these massive pluses, thousands of them. But she's so got she, to now balance she, it out She's with. decided that she wanted to, to, to fly a plane. She's done that now. So, so she's next? got the next, what, 60, 70 years of her life to do very little. Wow. Hugh, she was, Hugh's such a man of the people, isn't he? Extravagant wedding that wouldn't have looked out of place on the uh, pages of Hello or OK. Mm. Two honeymoons teaching the missus to fly planes. Yeah, because I'm responsible for any of those three things. <laughs> Welcome to Set Peace Menu. This is the podcast where four friends talk football over food. And welcome back to part two of our final summer special about loyalty. There are three friends today. Rory will be returning next week. So Football 365 can once again enjoy the podcast featuring Rory Smith and three others. Those three others, as ever, are me, Hugh Ferris, Andy Hinchcliffe, a man who we discovered last week was wanted by both Manchester United and Liverpool, but joined neither. And Steve Wyeth, who judging by his popular broadcasting career, would play for both Manchester United and Liverpool at the same time and just hang the consequences. <laughs> they can battle for his they time. They 
can they can argue on a week to week basis as to who's paying me the most. It's all about the availability. Um, the food that we've been enjoying has been a the, and probably the first ever build a breakfast workshop, which has been enjoyed by both Steve and Andy and George, who is Steve Junior. Uh, you have enjoyed a combination of. Small pancakes, lemon and raisin pancakes, bit of granola, yogurts, fruit, basically healthy breakfast, three athletes, and chimps. Yeah, but it, <laughs> it was basically a buffet, not build a breakfast. It was a buffet. Well, a buffet you, you is you built it in a bowl. Yeah, but and you, you created a thing. It was sort of a buffet. It was a continental. It's buffet. Bre- it was a continental breakfast without cheeses. It was thankfully, but it was yeah. very good. And it was excellent. Yeah. And George, yeah, yeah. my three-year-old, has mm. eaten some fruit, so you've effectively responsible for his. He's probably eaten what he'd normally manage in the terms of a week in terms of fruit, so I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful to you for that. And he's now sucking his thumb whilst watching the Angry Birds movie, so he's getting some good nutrients from that as well. Yeah, if you hear any sniggering as, uh, as the podcast goes on today, then it is uh, George who finds this sort of thing incredibly hilarious. <laughs> so then on last week's pod, we began our discussion about loyalty. We talked about the reality from a player's point of view, that player... Andy Hinchcliffe. On this show, we'll spend some time talking about how high and perhaps unrealistic as a result our expectations are regarding loyalty from a fan's point of view about their clubs and the players they support. A little later on, we'll also be having a soccer story from Andy Hinchcliffe. But between now and then, because of last week's show, we will talk absolutely for not one moment Mm. about your own experiences. We will talk about the almost the aesthetic of loyalty as desired by a fan. Because I think quite a lot of the time you hear, don't you, that criticism of modern players from a fan's point of view They're showing no loyalty whatsoever. We spoke last week about the fact that the reality perhaps is that there isn't any loyalty anymore. But what credence do we give to those fans and their expectations of loyalty? And perhaps we'll take it as far as we can before tipping over into the unrealistic. Well, it's obviously beyond crazy that a fan should think that a player would have the same loyalty for the club that they do. Their association, their commitment to the club does not run as deep, even if a supporter's connection to the club is a little bit less easy to equate. They are employees. We discussed that last week. I think the issue for most fans is not that their loyalty to the club is the same as the supporters, but that they should have a loyalty to the contract. Players sign contracts. They are generally short-term contracts, three or four years in duration. It doesn't seem too much to most football supporters that especially if you're the fan of a Premier League club or any of the other you know a club in the top division pretty much anywhere else in the world where wages are going to be on the decent side well above average for a footballer in a in a top league club that it doesn't seem too much that a player would sign a, a four-year contract and would get at least three years into that contract before the process of negotiating the next one or perhaps looking for pastures new would begin i think most things that fans find very very difficult to comprehend is that they would sign a player he would play for them for 12 months and would suddenly because he's had a good season or the club has had a good season that uh, he would be starting to see whether the grass is green elsewhere it's it's not a question of loyalty it's a question of honor and courtesy probably it seems to me as if the the players at times when things are going well they don't even think about the contract that they're actually part of at the moment they just see the next step the next stage and it's it's 
I find that incredible because it never it was never like that for me. But is is that just the way of of modern footballers that okay they sign a four year contract and yes you're absolutely right you should honour that and, and the club should, again maybe three years into that four year contract should then think about negotiating. Players should just get on with it. But at times players just just seem to if things are going well after a year they say well yeah I've got a four year contract but that's irrelevant isn't it I want something new it should change it should be different I should be better paid. It seems though as if that contract is not even there in the players' minds as if it should just be instantly ripped up and everything should change. Yeah, and it's the same for managers as well, isn't You know, the managers' contracts are perhaps even more um, unreliable than the players' contracts. It only takes a run of maybe half a dozen bad games for, that, for a club to tear up that contract. Yeah, but they've got to pay off the, the value of that contract or whatever the agreement was in it, you know, to, to dispense with their manager. Whereas, yeah, I just, I, I don't think it's too much to ask for a more gentlemanly outlook to these things. I think we're realistic about market forces. Most football supporters are. There are those who will dig their heels and then say, no, he's signed for my club and he should respect my club right up until the moment that we tell him he's no longer required. Well, that is, that's obviously ludicrous you know you need you know if, if you want to hold on to a player who is desired elsewhere then you will need to make an improved offer for that player or you will need to make certain guarantees about the aspirations of the club I think most people would accept that but it's almost a sort of lack of gentlemanly conduct is mm. the thing that really infuriates players you know you sign a player perhaps from overseas most most fans in, in your country haven't heard of him you've given him an opportunity 12 months down the line a bigger club in your division is sniffing around and interested and they are agitating for a move. And I think most people feel, sorry, mate, 12 months ago, our offer was good enough for you and it should be good enough for you for another season season or two and then you can start renegotiating. And I, I do think that is the active plan for lots of players coming to play, whether it's true in the Bundesliga and in, in La Liga and uh, in Serie A. I'm not sure players would, would go to those countries, to those leagues, and say, okay, I'll sign a three-year contract. A club's taking a bit of a chance on me, but if I have a really good year, I'll move to Bayern Munich or move to Barcelona or move to Juventus. Coming to the Premier League, is that what you think these players are about? I'll, I'll sign any length of contract you want, but I know if I have a really good year, lots of people are going to start talking about me. This is what I've come to do. So the length of contract is immaterial. So there isn't any gentlemanly conduct. And should there be an understanding from the fans that that is what happens, not only because of those players, but because of where their club sits? And should they perhaps not expect somebody to sign for their club and see out three, four, five years, have slightly a sense of realism about their own club's position comparative to the quality of those players. I always remember um, a couple of years ago, Stoke deciding that they were going to basically use that as a selling point for those players like Jordan Shakiri, yep. Ibrahim Af- Afalai. They, they said, listen, come over to Stoke. It's your entry point to the Premier League. We uh-huh. understand that you'll only be here for a year, maybe two, but perform well and you could get that big move. We get the money from a large transfer fee. We get a good season out of you. We, get we a good probably season. do we, better than we yes, might have expected. We, yeah. we take that next step and maybe get into Europe and Stoke have had very consistent finishes in the top 10 over the last three or four years under Mark Hughes. And so it's, every, it's quid pro quo, pro quo involving the fans as well. Perhaps they should have a little bit more of an understanding about it's scratch my back, we'll scratch yours, which is a very modern way of looking at it it's probably a slightly depressing way of looking at it but it's a realistic way but of it, it, at it. Uh, but it's as like say it's an entry point but the player should still show respect to the gamble that the club is taking but also but because that yeah. that club has been honest with them yeah. so that should open up a more consensual relationship and they're not moving to stoke just for the opportunity you know they are leaving their club in italy or germany or france 
and they, because of the riches available in the Premier League, are earning more money at, at Stoke than they would be perhaps in a, a top team in one of those divisions. So that's got to be acknowledged by the player as well. They are not only getting this opportunity in, in the most watched domestic league in, in the world, but they're also being very well remunerated as a, as a consequence. So if another bigger club comes along, surely the process of that should be, you know, Shakiri, you've had a, a great season and a, another club is, is asking about your services. We've told them the asking price is 30 million quid. If they want to pay that, that's fine. You can move on. But if they don't come up with the money, you can't start threatening to go on strike, agitating, you know, agitating for a move, leaking stories via your agent into the press to say how unhappy you are and how badly treated you're being by the club. You have a contract. You're being very well paid. You are a rich man as a consequence. You're getting the exposure. And if another club wants you, they have to pay the asking price. And if they're not, you can't try and make it happen behind the scenes. And that is a very different situation to what happened with Dimitri Payet at West Ham, Mm -hmm. where essentially there was no understanding prior to him having his good season and then wanting a move on afterwards. I appreciate he moved back rather than moved on. But there there was all sorts of headlines about how disgraceful he was and how he was going on strike and how he was completely disrespecting his club. And the club played hardball and thought about rotting him in reserves Mm -hmm. for the rest of his contract that he'd recently signed as a result of his excellent first year, a new five-year contract, I think it was. So you've got the Stoke situation where it seems like Everybody understands it. I appreciate nobody for Stoke played as well as Payet did for mm-hmm. West Ham. But you've got the West Ham situation where nobody really kind of agrees that that's how it's going to work. And everybody is completely affronted mm-hmm. when the player does what probably you might have expected if you'd had a little bit more of a worldly wise view. This is, this is why I wonder, is this why we're seeing these release clauses put into contracts now? Because as you say, there might be situations like Stoke where they encourage players to come over and say, look, have a couple of good seasons. We'll understand maybe if a, a bigger team wants to buy you, that's you, you'll help us out. Yeah. And then they say, right, we'll put a, re- a release clause of 30 million in your contract. So if somebody comes and pays that money, we, we will let you go. That's And then the player can say, well, I know what I'm getting into here. It's not as if yeah. we're put, picking a random figure and the players are unhappy about the figure that the club are asking for. They're asking for 50 or whatever, making it difficult for the player to leave. If everybody's above board and these release clauses are in, everybody knows how the land lies. There's no confusion there. So if a bigger club does want to come in, they know exactly what they have to pay. The clubs can say to the players, look, if they don't meet that asking price, we're under no obligation to let you go. You saw that when you signed the contract. You do hear this more and more often, these release clauses, meeting release clauses. So maybe that, that covers that bit of grey area between the player and the club. I can't believe I'm saying this for, to, to a figure of 30 million, but release clauses are not really that realistic, are they? No, they're, they're normally they're, massively... It's a preventative infl- Yeah, exactly. So more often than not, a, a club cannot justify meeting the release clause, but they can still make mm. an offer, can't they? I mean, we saw that situation, of course, when Arsenal uh, tried to sign Luis Suarez from Liverpool and they were under the they were under the belief that there was a release clause in his contract and offered, you know, that one release clause plus one yeah. pound, didn't they, to yeah. try and make it happen. And, you know, there was a bit of misinformation in there or whatever. That clubs can still, just because there's a release clause doesn't mean that a club can't bid less money than that and still turn the player's head. So like you say, Mm. is the conversation being had? Yes, they are making it clear perhaps to a player that this is an opportunity for them in the Premier League to to show their worth. But is the conversation really properly being had saying, yeah, but just even if you do have a great season, we're not obligated to sell unless our demands are met. Not your demands, 
our demands because we're making a commitment to you over three or four years to guarantee that you will earn X amount of money. Your part of the bargain is that yeah, you are yeah. going to not only play for us for three or four years, but you're going to give us your best during the course of that contract. Yeah, but of course, if, if that is the situation, then loyalty is completely irrelevant. The clubs aren't saying we don't expect you to be loyal. We're not asking you to come on the grounds of you want to come and play for Stoke City, you know, be heart and soul yeah. Stoke City player. We understand the situation and we're happy to take you on under those circumstances. So there's no way then that Stoke fans can look at Jordan Shakiri and say, how disloyal is, is he being leaving Stoke after we gave him this opportunity? Stoke and Shakiri knew exactly what situation they were getting into in the first place so loyalty is not even under question at all it's not even there it's, it's completely irrelevant but players want the protection equally of those three or four year contracts they want the they want the guarantee that they're going to earn 20 million quid over four well, years it's like Athelice had so many injuries at Stoke it's exactly. a good job he had a four year contract because exactly. he's missed an awful lot of football and he's not come and, and had the two years and maybe moved on because he's been injured so much no you'd have to be a, a player probably you know, looking for an opportunity to sign a, a much shorter term contract, to sign a six month or a 12 month contract, wouldn't you? Because the, realistically, is that right, son? <laughs> Do not bring a three year old to work with you. If we really wanted him to be quiet, we'd just give him another pancake, quite frankly. <laughs> Silenced by a pancake. <laughs> a, a, a player is not going, you know, a, a, Sha- a Shakiri or an Afalai is not going to sign a 12 month contract no. with Stoke. They're not going to go into that arrangement to say, look, come to us for 12 months. Here's the deal. If you have a good season, you'll be a free agent and any number of big Premier League clubs are going to want to sign you. They, they're, not go- they're not going to take that gamble. So you can't have it both ways. No. You can't want the security of the four-year contract but the flexibility of a 12-month deal. Yes, absolutely. And particularly yeah, yeah. when the clubs have a duty of care to pay your contract when you're not playing for them. Yeah, you yeah. mentioned Afli being mm. uh, injured. If he had signed a 12-month contract and he was injured for, say, 12 months, six months through that, mm-hmm. he'd be out of job for six months because he wouldn't be able to pass a medical anywhere. Mm-hmm. If you look at Zlatan Ibrahimovic, for all the pers- you know, picking out a person that does not need money mm-hmm. and is doing fine and will get a job, had he not been injured, it's very likely that they, Manchester United and him would have agreed that the extra year that was in the contract that they never triggered. And, but because he got injured, there was no reason for Manchester United to do that, even with a player who scored more than 20 goals yeah. and was clearly an asset. Now, they've replaced him now with somebody who is clearly an asset and will probably score 20 or more goals. But that, that is an example of if you don't have the security of that, even a player, the, a noteworthy player like Zlatan Ibrahimovic is, well, do you know what? I'm not going to yeah, give you a situ- contract for six months of which yeah. you're not going to be His situation playing. was very difficult with his age and everything else with, with players like Lukaku. It's very different. So obviously you can see what United yeah. were thinking by doing that. But everything is so heavily weighted in the players' favour, isn't it? That if they are wanted by a club like Stoke for whatever reason to play well for a season or two to help them do well and stay in the Premier League, you can understand financially why you want to bring a player in. But the players... He can't really lose out because he'll have a three or four year contract. If he gets injured, he's still going to get paid over those three or four years. If things go brilliantly, there's always that possibility. You can say to Stoke, well, you said if a, a club came in or there's a, a release clause, I can go as well. Everything's weighted massively in the player's favour, isn't it? And the club's yeah. really kind of in the hands the of club the player and their be, agents. They're taking all the risks, aren't Absolutely. they, the clubs? Yeah. They, you know, especially if it's not a proven player. I mean, Lukaku, you, you, you'd feel is whichever you know, team he played for in the Premier League is going to score 20 goals a season. So that, it's not a risk for Manchester United in regard of the player that they're signing but they are taking on all the financial risk of the 75 million fee the goodness knows what the wages are you know one assumes it's you know a a 10 million pound a year commitment in terms of wages so you know that's an awful lot of money United are taking the risk you know they hope to reap the reward in terms of trophy success it's the film is finished has it 
Oh, wow. The film has finished altogether more quickly than this conversation. It really spoke to me on so many levels, George. Did it speak to you, is, Angry Birds? It wasn't just yet? about Angry Birds. Angry Birds oh, 2? Oh, no. Man's, Do, man's that, inhumanity to man. Thing? Everything was in there. Well, mm. I'll tell you what. You've made an excellent point, Steve. I'll let you pick another thing for George to watch. Is the, Who's the chicken? Who's the egg here? Because Steve says all the powers with the player. Mm-hmm. The club are taking all the risk. But... Has that come about as a result of a period prior to this player power period yeah. that essentially it is in response to the clubs having the power and so they are basically jumping first. The player is saying, well, I'm going to make sure I, I insure myself mm-hmm. against any possibility of the club saying, right, that's it, we don't want you anymore, or we're going to replace you with somebody better. Well, that's the interesting thing about, say, Lukaku moving to Manchester United, signs a five-year contract initially. Say he scores 35 goals in his first season at Man United. Would you expect his agent to be knocking on the door of Ed Woodward and saying, we want a new contract? Yep. I guarantee that that will happen, because he says, well, my client's not very earned. There's a possibility yeah. he could go to Juventus or Barcelona. Yeah. Wait a minute, you signed a five-year contract 12 months ago. We signed you to score goals. You've been scoring goals, so just carry on with you. But again, very quickly the situation can change because of the power that the players and the agents have. It's completely switched around the last 20 years in terms of clubs and players. Funnily enough, the only thing that will stop that is eventually you get so far up the food chain, you're playing for Manchester United on that contract Hmm. for that fee. You're playing for Manchester City, Barcelona, Real Madrid. Only a few teams would readily part with that amount of money. So if you're Manchester United or you're the player earning 200, 250 grand at Manchester United, there's very few teams who could afford to buy you, particularly Hmm. if you're early in a contract, especially if you sign a new contract. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, you've got very few players who'd be able to pay for the wages. Or, in a sporting sense, you'd want to play for. So actually, the argument starts to hold less and less water the more times that you attempt to have it with a bigger club each time. So actually, aren't Manchester United... Yes, they're taking a risk, but they are insuring themselves against further risk by paying him so damn much and paying so much for him, knowing that, well, hang on a minute, who's going to buy this guy, if it's Lukaku, who's going to buy Lukaku off us? Barcelona, Real Madrid, maybe, and they'd have to fork out more than £100 million. Well, United have done all that they can do in terms of buying the player and paying the player well enough to do the job that they want him to do. The loyalty, if it does exist, is now on Lukaku's shoulders to get on with the job and not after a season or two seasons say, well, I expect my, you know, another five-year contract after two seasons of the initial five-year contract. That's when he has to understand where he is in the world but again influences around you know he's earning 250,000 quid a week arguably in China you can earn 500,000 suddenly you start thinking wait a minute I'm getting underpaid now I'm not I'm not valued and then the player starts getting very unhappy because he's told he should be unhappy because players are earning more or double his wages in China this is the problem there's always somewhere else you can go even though you say it is very limited in terms of where a player could move to China is changing that's true but absolutely that's everything why in I terms said of finances. the sporting aspect if he wants yeah. to succeed if he wants to do well uh, I remember when was it six six years ago that was six, more than six years ago that Fernando Torres moved from Liverpool to um, to Chelsea everybody absolutely crucified for making that move saying he was a, a mercenary and he just wanted to go for more money well Liverpool at that time because he hadn't won the Champions League with them in 2005 he got to the final in 2007 I think mm-hmm. with them but he hadn't he hadn't won anything with Liverpool of any great significance if you're talking about a player like him who wanted to win Champions League and Premier Leagues he goes to Chelsea and he wins the Champions League. So actually, he did make the decision, yes, for money reasons, but also for sporting reasons. That argument, the higher up the food chain, as I said, you go, the less you're able to make it. If the only argument you could make as Mina Raiola about Romelu Lukaku having 
been at Manchester United for a year or two, and you, he'll only be 26, 27 at that mm. point. You can't say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to send him to China. If Lukaku wants to move to China for 500 grand a week and China are willing to pay 120 million pounds for him, well, at that point, surely Manchester United just go, right, fine, and call his bluff because they are in enough of a bargaining powerful situation well, United, to United, say, yeah. I'm going to call you bluff. What, at what point do clubs call well, the bluff? United, and certainly under Sir Alex Ferguson, they did do that with David Beckham, with Yapstam. They would not be held to ransom Ronaldo by any... Once a player says, I don't want to play for you anymore... And I, that is absolutely the policy you should have. But again, it's the player maybe throwing his weight around and maybe clubs club should be stronger. But there's nothing worse than having a player in your dressing room who doesn't want to be there. Now, we're looking further down the, the line for Lukaku. It might be brilliant for him. But these things do come along. They really do come along. And it, it can be very difficult for clubs. It might look all rosy when you first sign that player, but the situation can drastically change within 12 months. I hope it doesn't for, for Lukaku and United. I hope it doesn't. I hope it works out. But it, it can and, and it might well do. Why don't top players, though, back themselves? Why is it, oh, I've had a great season, now I need to cash in, mm. or now I need an improved deal, or now I need to look for another club? Why why aren't they backing themselves, say, right, I've had one good season, you know, the first year of my four-year deal, I'm going to back myself to, to do likewise in seasons two and three. Well, my value then, suddenly, going into the final year of my contract, is going to be astronomical, because the club are either going to have to give me a really good deal... To, to convince me to stay or they can start thinking about making they get, making sure they get some of their money back and selling me on it depends, I, on, I know your, that. It depends on your age doesn't yeah, it because you, I, I would imagine players in their mid to late 20s start to get very paranoid about the best time to sign a new five year contract it's because that's your big contract it's not necessarily the players it's the agents well, the, the, the agents, agents will the be starting to think this advisors, is where you've, they're, they're in yeah. control of their clients but and this, this is yeah. where that's the problem once agents are involved and they're always going to be involved in the ear of a player they're going to start thinking very differently. Yeah, but, but but there's no way that an agent or a player would, you know, if like <laughs> Lukaku, you know, he wants 200 grand a week. United say, well, I'll tell you what, we'll give you 100 grand a week and 50 grand for every goal you score. No, because they're signing him because but he's going to score twice yeah. a week. So yeah. therefore, you're getting yeah, yeah. your 200 grand up front. So there's no way that a player would agree no. to half the money up front and half the money for delivering what's expected. So why should, if they deliver what's expected or slightly exactly. better, should yes. they be negotiating? Mm. There's a good example from the NBA, and I'm, I know about this. From I was just about talking. to bring in American sports. Steve's well, done, well, it they, I've, I've done it for so you. Grateful. I've done it for you. Steph Curry, who is one of the great basketball players in North America. He plays for a team called the Golden State Warriors. Sorry, The, champs. the champs. Is that a man or a woman, Steph? Ste- it's Stephen. Stephen Curry. Stephen Pronounced Curry. Stephen. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's helped his team to the last three NBA finals. They've won two of them, 2015-2017. He was league MVP in both of those seasons as well. And he has just signed the richest contract in basketball history. It's worth $201 million. Now, up until signing that contract he was on relatively modest terms for a player who is arguably the best in the league you know certainly one of the top two or three and all he's achieved with his team over the last three years but because of the restrictions of the salary cap and because he'd signed a deal four years ago of a certain value, there wasn't a great deal of agitating behind the scenes that, hang on, I've taken you to a championship. Everyone's wearing a ring, thanks to me, and I've been voted league MVP. He has seen out his deal 
And now, as a consequence, he's cashing in now. He has delivered during the course of the previous That's deal really he signed. Isn't yeah. it? And yeah. now yeah, he yeah. has signed this, you know, this $200 million mega deal. They've never seen anything like it before. Mm. And, but part of the, the knock-on effect of that is because the television rights for the NBA have gone up. So the franchises have got more flexibility. Centralised parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Socialism in action. <laughs> why do we not... That, so that's why I, I draw the example towards why do, we, why do we not see players saying... I've delivered over the last three or four seasons for you. Now you reward me. Not I've delivered for you over nine so months. Taking, that's, is that the culture in hockey, yes, in the, American the, football? The convention yeah. is, is, that, is that my contract comes up. I'm in a contract year. Yeah. So essentially you have to do very well. I mean, what yeah, happens yeah. before yeah. also plays a part, but you, you do well in your contract year to make sure that you yes, sign that yeah. big contract. Yeah. And it is determined not by your age, by your agent. It is determined simply by the length of your previous contract. And then those contracts that you sign, I'm not sure how uh, Steph Curry's contract is weighted, but in the NFL, they will weight it heavily to the first two years, for example, where a lot of the money is guaranteed, but you'll sign a five, sometimes six or seven year contract where years three, four, five, six, and seven are heavily incentivized. There's not a lot of money up front, so it allows the franchise, if they want to, to cut that player without too much financial ah, cost. Okay. But for that player, clearly he could earn a huge amount of money if he continues to do well. Yes. So there's no reason for agitating for a new contract because if he does well, if he does what he's supposed to, he will still earn 20, 25 million. Million dollars yeah, a year. Unfortunately, you know, it's chalk and cheese a little bit, you know, in terms of comparing American sport and, and European sport because, you know, it's tr- trades rather than transfers and such like, you know, we could get into the another time into the pros and cons of whether that would work in European football is the trading players rather than paying massive transfer. You know, if you, if you, if you want to sign Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo, here's a whole team's worth of players <laughs> that we will give you in exchange. I mean, the that Herschel would be, Walker yeah, trade. Yes. That, would be, that would be incredible, wouldn't it? But, you know, it, it is an interesting comparison, isn't it? And an interesting sort of, you know, insight into the differing mindsets. But if the contracts are weighted slightly differently and it's incentivising the final few years of the contract, the onus is on the player to perform. Whereas maybe football contracts, it's kind of as if you're pay, paying for something that hasn't yet been completed. You're playing for the whole package and you're paying for a 20 um, goal a season striker over five years when they haven't actually done that yet. But with these guys, they're having to do it year after year after year to eventually go through the contract they're on. Then they renegotiate in the final year of the contract that they've signed. You never, it's normally, I can't remember the last time you heard talk of a player going into the third year of a a four year, five year contract and on the money that that contract, it was kind of two years and then right, or a year, we'll we'll get a new one. So again, they just seem kind of irrelevant and loyalty certainly for the top end for those players who can pick and choose where they play their football and how much money they want to earn loyalty is 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 just irrelevant and Steve's right the structure of the leagues makes it very different you come to the end of the contract you are either cut or you renegotiate a new one or you enter free agency Mm. and and everybody can have a go at you and clearly the people if you are in free agency and you are a player of great value you will earn a lot more potentially by going through free agency and moving than you would probably staying on at that same franchise because, again, the the salary cap issues mean that it's difficult for those franchises to be able to afford a prime-aged player for that contract over the next four or five years. Mm -hmm. So they they often deliberately let their contract run out, deliberately don't sign a new one, and deliberately go and get more money elsewhere. So there is is a little bit of a parallel there. But you, you think about players who get to the end of their contracts, few and far between, sometimes deliberately to make sure they go on a free transfer. But you look at Arsene Wenger, 
who out of loyalty and out of a sense of duty and a sense of gentlemanly conduct, which is what you asked for earlier, yeah. Steve, sees out his contract to the very end before signing a new one. And it's landed him in all sorts yeah. of problems. Yes. Yeah. So clearly this is <laughs> that's not necessarily something that you would advise your player to do because look look well, what happens to Arsene every time. Only, be- only because it's so unusual. <laughs> yes. yes. That's what's taken... Yeah, you know, that's what catches people off guard almost. And I suppose in, in terms of stability, someone who's been there for such, such an unusual case, isn't he? And, and with this contract being signed or not being signed the, the Arsenal fans play, were looking to say well are you going to be here or not we need to know two three years so I can understand but it is people looking at saying this is absolutely crazy he's got to the end of his contract and hasn't signed a new one it, whether we'll see players start to do that I'd be, I'd be very very surprised because normally clubs want to cash in get some money back basically on their, on their outlay so they'll always sell somebody rather than let the, you just see them desperately trying to tie players down to contracts before the, uh, the contracts run out so we've spoken about the loyalty of clubs to players, of players to clubs, and how much the fans should expect from either. But what we should probably do before finishing is to pay tribute to fans, because mm-hmm. their loyalty is completely undimmed, sometimes to a fault, and I'm sure they'd agree. They they bind through shared experiences, whether positive or negative. They sometimes favour players not because of their footballing ability but because of their obvious um, loyalty to the badge and and identifying with the fans and being able to keep a communication line open in this modern age of not very much talking between <laughs> fans and players so those things are to be absolutely um, heralded as a, a, an aspect of the game which is one of its great selling points well, fa- fans aren't going to change their allegiances. What once you—it's very rare, isn't it? Once you pick a club, that's your club, isn't it? And players—I I just think modern football and players coming and going. One week they're kissing the badge, the next week they're, they're making moves to another club and, and kissing the badge of another club. Is that our fans? It's not deluded, is it? Because it's just—it's just realistic, isn't it? That the, this is how players are going to behave this is what is going to go on at your club and and every club and of course you'd you'd love to think that every player wants to stay for 10 years and will be great for 10 years and and will kiss the badge for 10 years all that stuff but it isn't it, it isn't the way it isn't the way so if fans think that that is what all players should be thinking when they put a team shirt on it's not. It's, it's not that way. It's because obviously players and and fans think so differently. Because one, in essence, is a job, and one is something that is a hot. It's, it's something that you go. It's your life, isn't it? You go and enjoy watching a, and watching your players play. But you must understand the players that are playing for you. Certainly in the modern age, that it, it might change very quickly, and they don't see your club as you do. When Manchester United signed Michael Owen, mm. a former Liverpool player, he said, "I'm not really bothered." I'll, it's a job. I'll mm. go and play for whoever pays me and whoever is the most attractive proposition at that time. But of course, fans of Manchester United and Liverpool would not understand that sentiment no. at all. No. But on the other end of the scale, you've got Wayne Rooney going back to Everton. He has been booed for 13 years by the team that used to support him. And now they're going to support him again. I know there will be examples of, of exceptions to that rule. But generally speaking, those fans will redevelop and reinstitute a loyalty with Wayne Rooney. And part of that... <laughs> I know a friend of mine was well, text about Wayne Rooney. Well, I can tell you true. exactly what he thought well, about p- it. But, anyway. but part of that, and I'm saying there are exceptions, <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah. part of that will be because they are responding to the rare suggestion of loyalty mm. from a player like Wayne Rooney, who they felt was the exact opposite 13 years ago. Oh, the minute, the minute Rooney bangs one in 
at the Gladys Street end and is uh, skidding on his knees With down David by the corner. David flailing. Oh, no, that was a while ago, wasn't it? That, that all will be forgiven, won't I'm it? Not sure it? I'm not sure it will be. No? No, some of the texts that I've had, they absolutely... Leaving Everton, there's lots of older Everton fans that I feel will be a little bit not sure, won't be too happy about him doing what he's done. Although, in, in, a, in a career sense, it's perfectly understandable. He's achieved incredible things. And whether it is sentimental, him going back to Everton... Surely there would be some pride or enjoyment for those Everton fans to see one of their former. Players. I don't know, but is it because it's Rooney? Does that play for United? Does that make? He's a big personality, playing for United, and also leaving so young. You can understand that. But mm. everything that he's won mm. has come at Manchester United. Yes. Yeah. If he had stayed at Everton, because Everton haven't won anything since I think the 1995 FA, FA Cup, Cup final. Any memories? Oh, no, not yeah. no. Can't remember. Mm. Anybody there that day? Mm. No, George. Um, no, so no, that so that that clearly is is an obvious reason. Yeah. Why he made the right decision. Having said that, we've just said that fans are loyal almost to a fault is the fault that they sometimes can't allow themselves <laughs> to love what was lost again. Again. again, the age that they were in the play. You just never know what's wrapped up in, in a player and, and fans will feel very differently about individual players. You know how they argue about whether players are good or bad. They, they do and it can feel very different from one fan to the next. So you'd have to take a cross-section of 40,000 Everton fans and say, you'd have to look at their ages and what they've seen of Wayne Rooney and whether they ever saw him play for Everton. It would be very, very d- different. But it's so individual how... I was amazed when I got that text from someone who's a, a, the, the most loyal Evertonian you will ever meet. And he is absolutely beside himself with rage <laughs> that Wayne Rooney or Everton have allowed themselves to bring him back. It's a bit like, um, you know, the lover who jilted you returning 15 years later. And, you know, you're happy to have them back. Slightly less hair. But Real yeah, hair. they've got less hair <laughs> and they gave somebody else the best years of their life. Oh, that's a great analogy, isn't it? Maybe that's why he's so damn angry. <laughs> because he heard Steve's analogy. <laughs> uh, so that is loyalty. That is another summer special. Thank you very much uh, for bearing with us and hopefully enjoying. We are not done yet because we leave you. Uh, the summer ends. Curtains are drawn up across that, <laughs> that early August late sunset with an Andy Hinchcliffe soccer story. This is a tale from Andy's playing days that has had all adult content and libel-worthy details removed. And uh, before we herald in, it's had a lot of heralding today, mm. before we herald in the, the arrival of the new Premier League season, perhaps you could draw our summer to a conclusion, Andy, with a story for the ages. Well, this is, this is an off-the-field story. Um, I was at Sheffield Wednesday at the time, and it was when you my, were mainly off the field. Well, I was mainly off the field in the <laughs> treatment. The and actually, yes, actually, I'll mention someone that, that kind of backs that up. But uh, it was my thirtieth birthday party, and uh, you are the most unparty person ever. Exactly. Was that your last ever party? It, exactly, yes. And we decided to hire out um, the restaurant at a hotel in Man. It's called Room now, but it wasn't called Room back then because it's a, it's a long time ago, obviously, when I was there. Is this in Manchester? In Manchester, It's not yeah, called it's Room Kings. anymore. Is it not called Room anymore? I know what anymore? you mean, but it's, I can't, yeah, but it's, it's some, changed hands it again. It was called, up the stairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Anyway, that's where it was being held and I was at Sheffield Wednesday. I just moved to Sheffield Wednesday. Been there about a year. Been injured. So I remember the, um, the personal trainer used to look after all the injured players. He was invited to the party, Neil. He was a really lovely guy because I spent a lot of time with him. I invited obviously the Sheffield Wednesday players John Newsom. remember John Newsom? yes Big I Sense, so I Leeds, so he was a Sheffield Wednesday player so he was there and Barry Horn from my Everton days came to the party as well because Barry and I were very close now for some reason obviously drinks were, were taken by all and sundry but there was there seemed to be some kind of 
altercation, John Newsom and Barry Hunt, they didn't have any previous history. As I said, they'd had a few drinks. And at one point in the evening, they were kind of face-to-face, nose-to-nose, and things were getting a little bit heated. And John Newsom was jabbing Barry Horn in the chest. And I, who knows what they were arguing about, but he's jabbing him in the chest, jabbing him in the chest. And Barry Horn just, just stood there with his, with his palm, not a fist, an open palm, and said to John Newsom, if you poke me again, I'm going to slap you across the face. Now, being slapped across the face is not something... Being punched is one thing, isn't it? But being slapped is a, is a bit of a slap in the face, literally. <laughs> so, so we're all watching this. There's about 50 people watching this going on, thinking this is this. All 50 people. There, he was there was loads of people. I paid for him to be there. And um, so Other John Newsom jabs him again. So Barry Horn, again, the arms extended. I'll give you one more chance, John. Do not poke me in the chest, or you're going to get a slap across the chops. So John Newsom, being John Newsom, thinks, right, I haven't... Jabs him in the chest again. Next thing that happens, Barry Horn absolutely clatters him across the face. Pandemonium. All hell breaks loose. Is there a brawl? There's, there's chairs. People flying in. It's like, yeah, people flying through the windows like in the cowboy movies. And there's, there's John Newsom saying, Barry Horn, you're going home in a box. Things like that. Oh my God. Honestly, it, it went horribly, horribly wrong. They had to be separated. And, and all, uh, my party was ruined. And my party was just crying not, in the corner. This is not the end of the story. Not the end of the story because it all calms down. Everybody goes home. They manage to separate the two uh, protagonists. So then... We go back to Sheffield Wednesday. We're training for about a week. Story breaks that then Barry Horn is going to be signing for Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> so I'm thinking this. No, seriously. So I text Barry saying, because I think Terry Yorath was at, um, and Peter Shreves, who were involved with Wales and that. They knew Barry very well and we needed players. And I text him, seriously, you're not going to come and join Sheffield? He said, yeah, yeah. I'm co- how is this going to go down when he walks into the dressing room? So he does sign for Sheffield Wednesday. So we're all in the dressing room the morning that Barry arrives. John Newsom clearly there as well, and I'm thinking, oh my God, this is going to be. Everyone's there, gum shields in. This is going to go horribly <laughs> They walk at Barry Hall, opens the door, bang, walks in. John Newsom leaps up. They hug each other, high fives. What? It's all as if it never ever happened. Where did that? And I was, I think, a bit disappointed to be honest. I was expecting it to be. You were expecting round. You were ringing yes, the bell for round two. But Barry Hall comes in and they're hugging like long lost friends. What's that all about? Has that, it given you a reason why? There doesn't seem to be any reason why. They just said, oh, just down to hygiene. Yeah, but he slapped you across <laughs> the face. I mean, I've never seen two men. Normally, when things happen in training and people get like that and punches are thrown, I've seen that before. That's it. These guys, you can't put them in the... In a, it's like two dogs. You can't there, put there them back in the room. Grudges. That's it. Oh, and it, it will surface at some point further. But this was like the slap across the face had endeared Barry Horn to John Newsom. And it was as if... I quite uh, like you now. Yeah. Cause he gave me yeah. a bit of a swat across the chops. What's that all about, eh? Some Respect. sort of strange initiation, that, isn't but it? But the sound of the slap... It was an absolute. I never. It was like someone had got a big wet haddock <laughs> and slapped him across the face. It was an absolute corker. I love the idea, by the way, that uh, you said you sent him a text. Do you mean telegram? No, a text. It was a text. Stop, stop. Barry. <laughs> Don't join Sheffield Wednesday. Stop. stop. Just stop. Barry. Stop. Please, just stop. stop. Uh, Thank you to Andy for yet another world-exclusive soccer story. Uh, We'll have more as the weeks progress. Um, Coming up next week, we will be looking ahead to the new Premier League season. We might be playing something of a game as well, just to see if we can predict. Is there another season coming? There is another season. Premier League? Stand by. Wow. You will be required, Mr Hinchcliffe. Mm. Uh, So that's to come on next week's set-piece menu. In the meantime, thank you to everybody for listening. Please do subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. We will be joined 
drawing together all of your incredible correspondence when we meet up next. Rory will be returning. Get in touch in the meantime via at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Thank you then to Steve and to Andy and to you for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. I said Rory has to come back, I presume, doesn't he? But George has been a pretty able stand-in, hasn't he? He's yeah. not, he's he's not talked spoken as much. Sense. He's interrupted occasionally, but he's not spoken as much as Rory does. And he's not mentioned Francesco Totti. Have you noticed? tried to flog a paperback copy of his How book. Many, yes, yeah. Have you noticed these things that he does? If you played Rory Smith Bingo, yeah. my book Mister Francesco Totti. Yeah. He's not Yorkshire. He's Why not teased, us, he's not teased us with an article that's coming oh. up in the next three or four weeks in the New York Times, oh. which may or may not even be written by him. New York Times is another one. How many times has he exactly. mentioned that? You're quite right.